Welcome back, having brains, to the Brains Podcast, Book 4, Chapter 7. I feel genuine relief to see Junior Buddenbrook um, stepping in to intervene and actually daring to ask questions. Daddy to the rescue, eh? Acoustic Eels says, wow, what a roller coaster! I was mentally preparing for Tony to lie down at the end, to lie at the end about loving Grunlich and for Johan to lie similarly about how bad the family firm was doing and Grunlich's too. I'm glad that they were honest with each other in the end, but man, I was sweating for a couple of pages there. I felt exactly the same way. I thought it was going to be one of those frustrating things where no one says what they really mean and then they leave having not actually communicated and that you see that in so many books don't you but nope they they drilled down they they got into the nitty-gritty and they told the truth johan could have taken tony's first answer that he she did love grunlich and gone ahead with the deal choosing to believe that he was doing the right thing by saving grunlich's business and their marriage yet he chose instead to probe deeper into his daughter's answer because he knew that he forced her into the marriage and he knew that she might want a separation in the event of bankruptcy. This makes me think that he is, if not shrewd, at least perceptive, which is good, a good quality for a businessman. I feel like he would be able to right the ship, so I'm wondering how it will get worse from here. Very cool. Swim said the mum fishes. However, there is the issue that Tony may not have been in this position if Junior hadn't been applying pressure that Tony... Married Grunlich in the first place. Yes, well, he came to the rescue, but he also put her in that mess, so... You know. He's, um... You know, he gets some brownie points for this chapter. But he was in the bad books to begin with, so, you know... He's redeeming himself. Let's see how it goes from here. Chapter 8 goes like this. Her Grunlich's face was all mottled with red, but he had dressed carefully in the respectable-looking black coat and pea-green trousers like those in which he had made his first visits to Meng Street. He stood still with his head down, looking very limp, and said in a weak, exhausted sort of voice, Father. The consul bowed, not too cordially, and straightened his neck cloth with an energetic movement. Thank you for coming, said Herr Grunlich. It was my duty, my friend, replied the consul, but I am afraid it will be about all I can do for you. Herr Grunlich threw him a quick look and seemed to grow still more limp. I hear, the consul went on, that your banker, Herr Kesselmeyer, is awaiting us. Where shall the conference be held? I am at your service. If you will be so good as to follow me, Herr Grinlich murmured. Consul Buddenbrook hissed to his daughter on the, sorry, kissed his daughter on the forehead and said, Go up to your child, Antony. Then he went with Herr Grinlich fluttering in front of and behind him to open the portieres through the dining room into the living room. Herr Kesselmeyer stood at the window, the black and white down softly rising and falling upon his cranium. Herr Kesselmeyer, Herr Consul Buddenbrook, my father-in-law, said Herr Grunlich meekly. The consul's face was impassive. Herr Kesselmeyer bowed with his arms hanging down, both yellow teeth against his upper lip, and said, Pleasure to meet you, Herr Consul. Please excuse us for keeping you waiting, Kesselmeyer, said Herr Grunlich. He was not more polite to one than the other. Pray sit down. As they went into the smoking room, Herr Kesselmeyer said vivaciously, Have you had a pleasant journey? Ah, rain, yes. It is a bad time of year, a dirty time. If we had a little frost or snow now, but rain, filth, very, very unpleasant. What a queer creature, thought the consul. In the centre of the little room, 
With its dark flowered wallpaper stood a sizable square table covered with green baize. It rained harder and harder. It was so dark that the first thing her Grunlich did was to light the three candles on the table. Business letters on blue paper stamped with the names of various firms, torn and soiled papers with dates and signatures lay on the green cloth. There were a thick ledger and metal inkstand and sand holder full of well-sharpened pencils and goose quills. Her Grunlich did the honours with the subdued and tactful mien of a man greeting guests at a funeral. Dear father, do take the easy chair, he said. Her Kesselmayer, will you be so kind as to sit here? At last they were settled, the banker sat opposite, the host, the consul presided on the long side of the table, the back of his chair was against the hall door. Her Kesselmayer bent over, released his upper lip, disentangled a glass from his waistcoat and stuck it on his nose, which he wrinkled for the purpose, and opened his mouth wide, then he scratched his stubbly beard with an ugly, rasping noise, put his hands on his knees and remarked, in a sprightly tone, jerking his head towards the piles of papers, well, there, we have the whole boiling. May I look into matters a little more closely, asked the consul, taking up the ledger, but Herr Grunlich suddenly stretched out his hands over the table, long, trembling hands marked with high blue veins, and cried out in a voice that trembled too. A moment, father, just a moment, let me make just a few explanations. Yes, you will get an insight into everything. Nothing will escape your glance, but believe me, you will get an insight into the situation of an unfortunate, not a guilty man. You see, in me a man who fought unwearied against fate, but was finally struck down. I am innocent of all. We shall see, my friend, we shall see, said the consul with obvious impatience, and Herr Grunlich took his hands away and resigned himself to his fate. Then there were long dreadful minutes of silence. The three gentlemen sat close together in the flickering candlelight, shut in by the four dark walls. There was not a sound but the rustling of the consul's papers and the falling rain outside. Herr Kesselmeyer stuck his thumbs in the armholes of his waistcoat and played piano on his shoulders with his fingers, looking with indescribable jocosity from one to the other. Herr Grunlich sat upright in his chair, hands on the table, staring gloomily before him and now and then stealing an anxious glance at his father-in-law out of the tail of his eye. The consul examined the ledger, followed columns of figures with his fingers, compared dates and did indecipherable little sums in his lead pencil on a scrap of paper. His worn features expressed astonishment and dismay at the conditions into which he was now gaining an insight. Finally, he laid his left arm on her Grunlich's and said with evident emotion, You poor man. Father, her Grunlich broke out, two great tears rolled down his cheeks and he ran into the golden whiskers. Her Kesselmeyer followed their course with the greatest interest. He even raised himself a little, bent over and looked his vis-a-vis in the face with his mouth open. Consul Buttonbrook was moved. Softened by his own recent misfortunes, he felt himself carried away by sympathy, but he controlled his feelings. How is it possible, he said, with a sad head shake, in so few years? Oh, that's simple, answered Herr Kesselmeyer, good-temperedly. One can easily ruin oneself in four years, when we remember that it took an even shorter time for Westfall brothers in Bremen to go smash. The consul stared at him, but without either seeing or hearing him. He himself had not expressed his own actual thoughts, his real misgivings. Why, he asked himself with puzzled suspicion, why was this happening now? It was as clear as daylight that just where he stood today. B.
Big Greenwich had stood two years, three years before, but his credit had been inexhaustible. He had had capital from the banks, and for his undertakings, continual endorsement from sound houses like Senator Bock and Consul Goodsticker. His paper had passed as current as banknotes. Why now, precisely now, and the head of the firm of Johann Buddenbrook knew well what he meant by this now. Had there come this crash on all sides, this complete withdrawal of credit, as if by common consent, this unanimous dissent upon B. Grunlich, this disregard of all consideration, all ordinary business courtesy. The consul would have been naive indeed had he not realised that the good standing of his own firm was the advantage of his son-in-law. But had the son-in-law's credit so entirely, so strikingly, so exclusively depended on his own, had Grunlich himself been nothing at all, and the information the consul had had, the books he had examined well, however the thing stood, the resolution was firmer than ever. Not to lift a finger, they had reckoned without their host. Apparently B. Grunlich had known how to make it appear that he was connected with the firm of Buddenbrook, while this widely circulated error should be set right once and for all, and this Kesselmayer he was going to get a shock to, the clown, had he no conscience whatever, it was very plain how shamelessly he had speculated on the probability that he, Johann Bodenbrook, would not let his daughter's husband be ruined, how he had continued to finance Grunlich long after he was unsound and extracted from him an even crueler rate of interest. Now he had, he said shortly, let us get to the point. If I am asked as a merchant to say frankly what I think, I am obliged to say that if the situation is that of an unfortunate man, it is also in the great degree that of a guilty one. Father, stammered Herr Grunlich. The name does not come well to my ears, said the consul, quickly and harshly. Your demands on Herr Grunlich amount, sir, turning for a moment to the banker, to 60,000 marks, I believe. With the back interest, they come to 68,755 marks and 15 shillings answered Herr Kesselmayer pleasantly. Very good, and you would not be inclined under any circumstances to be patient for any longer time. Herr Kesselmayer simply began to laugh. He laughed with his mouth open, in spasms, without a trace of scorn, even good-naturedly looking at the consul as though he were inviting him to join in the fun. Johann Buttonbrook's little deep eyes clouded over and began to show red rims around them that ran down to the cheekbone. He had only asked for form's sake, being aware that a postponement on the part of the creditor would not materially alter the situation. But the manner of this man's refusal was mortifying indeed. With a motion of the hand, he pushed away everything from in front of him, laid the pencil down with a jerk on the table and said, Then I must express myself as unwilling to concern myself any further with this affair. Aha, cried Herr Kesselmayer, shaking his hands in the air. That's the way to talk. The Herr Consul will settle everything out of hand. We shan't have any long speeches without more ado. Johann Bunbrook did not even look at him. I cannot help you, my friend. He turned calmly to Herr Grunlich. Things must go on as they have begun. Pull yourself together and God will give you strength and consolation. I must consider our interview at an end. Herr Kesselmayer's face took on a serious expression which was vastly becoming to it. But then he nodded encouragingly to Herr Grunlich. The latter sat motionless at the table, only wringing his hands so hard that the fingers cracked. Father, her consul, he said with a trembling voice, you will not, you cannot desire my ruin. Listen, it is a matter of a hundred and twenty thousand marks in all. You can save me. You are a rich man. Regard, 
it as you like as a final arrangement as your daughter's inheritance as a loan subject to interest. I will work, you know I am keen and resourceful. I've spoken in my last word, said the consul. Permit me, may I ask whether you could, if you would, said Herr Kesselmeyer, looking at him through his glasses, with his nose wrinkled up. I suggest to the consul that this would be a most advantageous time to display the strength of the firm of Buddenbrook. You would do well, sir, to leave the good name of my house to me. I do not know. I do not need to throw my money in the nearest ditch in order to show how good my credit is. Dear me, no, of course not ditch. Ha <laughs> ha. Ditch is very funny, but doesn't the gentleman think the failure of his son-in-law places his own credit in a bad light? Uh, uh, I can only recommend you again to remember that my credit in the business world is entirely my own affair, said the consul. Herr Grunlich looked at his banker helplessly and began afresh. Father, I implore you again, think what you are doing. Is it a question of me alone? Oh, I, I myself might be allowed to perish, but your daughter, my wife, whom I love, whom I won after such a struggle, and our child, both innocent children, are they to be brought low as well? No, father, I will not bear it. I will kill myself. Yes, I would kill myself with this hand, believe me, and may heaven pardon you if it will. Johann Buddenbrook leaned back in his armchair, quite white, with a fast-beating heart. For the second time, the emotions of this man played upon him, and their expression had the stamp of truth. Again he heard, as when he told her Grunlich the content of his daughter's letter from Travemundi, the same terrible threat, and again there shuddered through him all the fanatical rever reverence of, this, of his generation for human feelings, which yet had always been in conflict with his own hard practice, but the attack lasted no longer than a moment. A hundred thousand marks, he repeated to himself, and then he said quietly and decisively, Antony is my daughter. I shall know how to protect her from unmerited suffering. What do you mean by that? asked her Grunlich, slowly stiffening. That you will see, answered the consul. For the present I have nothing to add. And he got up, pushed back his chair, and turned away toward the door. Herr Grunlich sat silent, stiff, irresolute, his mouth opened and closed without a word coming out, but the sprightliness of her Kesselmeyer returned at this conclusive action of the console. Yes, it got the upper hand entirely, it passed all bounds, it became frightful. The glasses fell from his nose, which went skyward, while his little mouth, with the two triangular yellow teeth, looked as though it were splitting. He rode with his little red hands in the air, the fuzz on his head waved up and down his whole face with its bristly white beard, distorted and grotesque with uncontrolled hilarity, had grown the colour of cinnamon. Ha 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 ha, he yelled, his voice cracking. I find that in the last degree funny. You ought to consider Consul Buttonbrook before you consign to the grave such a valuable, such a supreme specimen of a son-in-law. Anything so shrewd, so resourceful as he is won't be born upon God's wide earth a second time. Aha! Four years ago, when the knife was at our throat, the rope around our necks suddenly... We made a match with Farley and Buddenbrook and spread the news on change even before it had actually come. Congratulations, my dear friend, my best respects. Kesselmeyer, groaned Herr Grunlich, making spasmodic motions with his hands as though waving off an evil spirit. He rushed into the one corner of the room where he sat down and buried his face in his hands. The ends of his whiskers lay on his shanks and he rocked his knees up and down in his emotion. How did we do that? went on Herr Kesselmeyer. How did we actually manage to catch the little daughter and the 80,000 marks? Oh, ha, ha, ha. That is easy. Even if one has no more shrewdness and resourcefulness than a tallow candle, it is easy. You show the saviour papa nice, pretty clean books. 
in which everything is put in the right way, only that they don't quite correspond with the plain fact, for the plain fact is that three quarters of the dowry is already debts. The console stood at the door, deathly pale, the handle in his hand, shivers ran up and down his back. He seemed to be standing in this little room, lightly lighted by the flickering candles between a swindler and an ape gone mad with spite. I despise your words, sir, he brought out with uncertain emphasis. I despise your wild utterances, the more that they concern me as well. I did not hand my daughter over light-headedly to misfortune. I informed myself as to my son-in-law's prospects. The rest was God's will. He turned. He would not hear any more. He opened the door, but her Kesselmeyer shrieked after him. Aha! Inquiries where? Of Bock? Of Goodsticker? Of... Peterson, of Massman and Tim, they were all in on it. They were all in it up to their necks. They were all uncommonly pleased to be secured by the wedding. The consul slammed the door behind him. Alright, there we go. Another chapter down. Kesselmeyer was in on it too. They were all in on it. Jeepers. Hoodwinked. What a bunch of scammers. Alright. Have your say on it on the subreddit and I'll see you tomorrow.